Welcome to Soul Talk, soulful conversations exploring who you are, why you're here, and how to live your most authentic life. My name is Coop Blackson, nationally best-selling author of You Are The One, transformational teacher, and your host. I invite you to subscribe to the Soul Talk podcast for weekly inspiration from me, where I will share with you some powerful ideas, thoughts, and practical life wisdom to help you live life more fully, freeing yourself from your past, reclaiming your power, and living your true life's purpose. You can also go to www.coopblackson.com, enter your name and email to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment. Let's get started with Soul Talk. Welcome back, folks. Welcome to another very special episode of the Soul Talk podcast. Uh, I'm really excited about my uh, guest today. Uh, She's a true inspiration. It's a real honor to have her on. Uh, I read her book many years ago, Finding Your Own North Star, Claiming the Life You Were Meant to Live, and uh, it just it just lit me up. You may have seen her being interviewed on, on uh, television, on the Oprah magazine with Oprah. Uh, she has inspired and transformed many lives. She's also trained, uh, training life coaches worldwide through her Wayfinder Life Coach program. Uh, she's, she's, she's an amazing human being. I haven't had a chance to meet her up until now. Uh, her name? is the amazing Martha Beck. Martha, welcome to the Soul Talk podcast. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. Yeah, it's really great to be here. I've heard about you for, for so long now, and your books have inspired me, and so it's just great to, to have you here and just to have a conversation. Uh, now, I'm, you know, I'm always curious as to just to set a context, especially for those that also may not know of your work or know of your background, uh, you know, usually when someone's a best-selling author or, or an expert, people often just tend to see them as the expert. And sometimes people have this idea that they've just arrived there just naturally or they've <laughs> been that way their whole life. So I'm just curious in terms of your journey, uh, what, what led to your journey in becoming an author and a life coach, helping people with their lives? Was it were you always inspired? Was it, was it, you know, were your parents spiritual? Was it always that way? I mean, how, how did that happen? How does that happen? Oh, well, that question. I'm curious about you. Thank you so much. I was raised in a very devout Mormon household, which um, was not, did not work well for me. <laughs> so mm. in a weird way, I, I like, I wrote once that, Mormonism uh, sort of locked me in a dungeon and then threw in the key. The dungeon was a kind of, in my view, uh, dogmatism that I don't agree with. And the key was that there is within you something that is connected to the divine. So I had that planted um, very early in me. And then I went to Harvard when I was 17, and it was a very different culture. And Mm. I got married there and had a baby in my second child was prenatally diagnosed with Down syndrome while I was getting a doctorate, my doctorate from Harvard. And I had to decide very, very late in the pregnancy whether to terminate or not. And I went on an intense soul search, um, which made me think not, am I pro-choice? Because I am. It was what sort of human life is worth living? You know, on what grounds Mm. do I decide what child lives, what child dies? And I, I, decided, wandering around Harvard looking at people who seemed haunted and anxious, I thought, I don't care how successful I am if I'm anxious and haunted. I would rather be happy and um, Mm. find my own way. So uh, I kept the baby, and that was the first of a, a lot of radical choices where I was put at odds with cultural norms, and I would choose my heart. I would choose my soul. The more I did that, the more I started having amazing experiences and um, people started talking to me about them and here we are. Mm, wow. So it was just a, like an evolution of your, own, of your own journey that led to sort of your own career, people coming. To, I mean, was there a moment where you knew, okay, this is what I want to do for, 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 for a career, for a living. Like this is what I was born to do. People are coming to me, um, sharing my life. This is it. This is my purpose. This is this is the thing. Was was there a moment? It, it actually it grew very um, organically, and I didn't pay much attention to it. I used to. Oh. Someone asked me once, "What was my um, 
marketing program early in my career, and I said concealment and evasion because I just thought I would be a professor. And I was teaching business school, but I was teaching um, a bunch of international business school students who were really interested in the world itself and in having a wonderful adventure with their lives and careers. So I created a course to sort of help them direct themselves toward what was unique to their own purpose. And the course became very popular, and the students started hiring me outside of class. And pretty soon I was so busy, I couldn't do anything else. So I wrote a book and put everything I knew in it, Finding Your Own North Star, mm. thinking mm. now they can read this for $20 and they will all go away. And it backfired mm. horribly. And more mm. people came. And then I read in the newspaper that I had become a life coach. And I, I did not wow. know that term. So I thought, mm. I, I actually still don't care about the labels, but my passion for people's destinies and helping them find it. That, that's been with me forever. Yeah. I love that you said that, it, you know, it, it wasn't just one moment. It, was, it just kind of started gradually happening because sometimes people think there's just this one light bulb moment and, and sometimes there's so much pressure we put on ourselves to find that one moment, but, but uh, it was sort of a revelation. So, so what would you say to, let's say someone is listening to this conversation, Martha and Mayor, and they're in a place where they have, I'm sure you've, you've you know, been asked this question before. They, they have no idea what their purpose is. They may be feeling a little lost in life in terms of what am I here to do on this planet? Maybe they're, they're broke. They don't make any money. Maybe they actually make money, but they're still, they're not finding any real meaning. Are there any first right. steps that someone can take to begin to, you know, connect and find what they're truly here to do with their lives, their their purpose. Sure. A um, couple of things. First is, you know, if I have techniques, I did get uh, my degrees from Harvard, and they taught me to be very rigorous and to test mm. what I say before I claim it. So if I have a methodology, I try it on people who are very different from each other. And I work with billionaires sometimes. And then I had an opportunity to sit with some women who had been street beggars in Nairobi, which is, you know, wow. if you've been a street beggar in Nairobi, even being a street beggar in London or New York seems pretty luxurious. So I said yeah. that these women had come, they had come out of poverty and they'd used microloans and they'd used all these um, techniques, you know, that development experts recommend, but they had managed to do it where millions have tried and failed. And so I asked them, what was it? What was the one thing that made it possible for you to leave this abject poverty and become successful? And they all said the same thing. Someone told me a story about my own life that I had never heard before. They told me a story of my succeeding in ways that I'd never thought I could succeed. And they painted such a vivid picture that I was able to imagine myself succeeding. Mm. And I think this is what you do so brilliantly. You help people imagine mm. themselves succeeding yes. at a higher level than they have imagined. So that really convinced me it's not, it's not even the economic devices. It's the story that we tell ourselves that determines whether we rise or fall. Um, mm. The other thing that I would tell people is, you have a magnificent instrument that is designed to lead you toward your destiny, and it's been belittled by society. And that instrument is your body. The body hates to lie, and it's an incredible... Yes. Yeah, your body, you, it goes weak. I show this to people in, in seminars and so on, that your body loses power when you say anything that isn't true at, at the deepest level for you. Mm. So when I'm working with people one-on-one, -on -one, the very first thing that we do is we start to read the body's signals. If you feel discouraged and weighed down and tense and tight in your body, whatever story you're telling yourself is not correct. And if you're, telling, yeah. if you're feeling huge and expansive and energetic, the story in your head is true. So mm -hmm. I know you've talked about when people lie to themselves they can't mm -hmm. achieve what they're meant to achieve. And this is exactly what we test by using the body. And 
Um, I've come to believe that integrity, telling the absolute truth to yourself and then living that in the world, that's it. That's the whole nine yards. Mm. That is everything you need. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. So you, you triggered so many questions. So let me, let me unpack a couple. Uh, I really am with you when, when I'm here, you say the body doesn't lie. And, yep. you know, integrity <laughs> is everything. Yet often, you know, it, it is, it can be scary, right, Martha, for, for someone oh. to go, okay, uh, I, I'm doing something I hate and my body's killing me. It's telling me, but Martha, if I, if I honor my truth, if I follow my knowing, uh, how, how will I survive? How will I pay the bills? Or, you know, the, the fear can be overwhelming in terms of survival. So yeah. how, 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 how can someone navigate that fear so that we don't let that fear stop us from following what we're being guided, following our guidance? How can yeah, we move through the right, fear? Yeah, you go right to the uh, question. And I, so I know you live in integrity because anyone who's lived with perfect integrity has faced that fear. Yes. Because your yes. life is not meant to be like anyone else's. And that means mm. that at some point, as you go in toward your integrity, you will do something that does not please the people around you. And you will do things like mm. departing. Like I left the Mormon church and that's not something you do if mm. you were raised the way I was raised. Um, when I chose to have my baby, a cognitively impaired child in a Harvard setting, all, the, the doctors told me it was like having a malignant tumor and not letting them remove it. I, and I was wow. terrified. I was 25 years old and terrified. And I've been terrified every time I've made a choice away from culture and toward my true nature ever since. I've just learned that fear is a companion and it sits mm. beside me. And it's good if I'm learning, uh, if I'm driving and I'm tired, the fear can keep me awake. It's good if I'm visiting Africa and I'm out there in the bush and I'm listening. Yes. And when it tells me to join with other people to do things that feel toxic to my body, I know to tell fear, you can sit in the passenger seat, but I am driving. And, you just, and I don't know what it is, dude, except maybe the intense yearning that we all have to live our own purpose. That yearning, that love of the future we're meant to have, I think, is stronger than the fear. But that doesn't mean the fear goes away. It's going to be there. And you learn mm. to go forward anyway, and that's that's the definition of courage, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So really cultivating a, a relationship with the fear as well. Yeah, you can't I I've never been able to get rid of it. But I, I am mm -hmm. old enough to know now that whenever I think I'm jumping off into the abyss, a net appears and something and it takes me to a place better than I've ever known. And I've had, I had one client years and years ago who said she, she had cancer and she said, I know it's because of my job. And I know if I go back there, she said, I'm cancer free. But if I go back to that job, it's going to come back. I can just feel it. Uh, but she was, and then she went to the office and they said, we're giving your job to someone else. And she was so uh, angry about it. She went back to her old job and the cancer recurred and she died, you know? I've seen stuff like that a lot. I'm sure you have too. Mm -hmm. Love it. You know, you, you, you said something that I hadn't really paid a lot of attention to until, you know, you, you said it in this conversation, you said it twice about the Mormon church. You were part of the Mormon church. And, mm -hmm. you know, I can kind of relate to being part of the church as a kid growing up in my father's church. He was a minister mm -hmm. and having to break away. And I was a minister when I was 14 and I broke away and I left. And wow. it was so terrifying and scary and, you know, fear of being outcast and, you know, losing yeah. my father and, and all of that stuff. So, I mean, the Mormon church is a huge, and I mean, it's a big deal. It's a huge thing. So I'm it curious. Is. I didn't know that about you. I'm, I'm curious as to how what gave you the the courage uh and i don't know all of your background in, in the mormon church but it sounds like you said you were kind of high up there uh, uh in terms of your family so what gave you the courage to to break away to forge your own path because yeah. i think a lot of people whether it's the mormon church whether it's a marriage whether it's whatever it might be it, we all have our own version of that uh we right. often don't find the courage so what gave what actually gave you the courage to do that where did you draw upon the courage 
how did you manage yeah. to kind of access that? Well, I thank you. What a wonderful question. Um, I was lucky enough to have a body that really didn't like to lie. And oh. after my son was born, it started to, well, actually before that, I, I had very bad health. I had three um, diseases that were considered incurable and progressive, not very well understood, but I was in a lot of pain, a lot of physical pain. And then I <laughs> I was lucky enough to have my body completely fail, and I had to go into a surgery because uh, I was having internal bleeding. And during that surgery, I had one of those experiences they describe in near-death um, books, you know, near-death accounts. A light came, and I was wow. I was unconscious, but suddenly I was alert and I could see, which was strange because I knew my eyes were taped shut. And then this light appeared in the in between the surgical lights, and it grew. Um, it was at first about the size of the golf ball, and then it grew, and it filled everything it touched, and then it touched my body, and I felt the most astonishing peace and joy and homecoming and just wrapped in bliss and so sure this was my home. And I actually started to cry, and my body was crying. Tears were coming out of my eyes, and the, and the doctors said, some of the doctors saw it and they thought I was in pain but couldn't say anything, so they panicked and they said, we've got to increase the anesthesia. And what the anesthesiologist told me later was he went to increase the anesthesia and a voice said, don't do that. She's crying because she's happy. And mm. he told me this later when I questioned him. But the light, wow. um, I can't really describe the beauty and the bliss that it brought, but it was so deep and it told me a few things and one of the things it told me was um don't you're not meant to wait until you die to experience this feeling you have to live in such a way that you can experience this presence my presence while you're still alive mm. and i came out of that surgery and i quit everything i quit my profession my job wow. uh, you know my isolated job my profession um my family of origin my, I, I quit everything that did not feel like the light. And the religion mm. was one of those things. It didn't feel like the light. And after that experience, I was, mm. it was so clear. And there was so obviously nothing else I wanted. Nothing. And, mm. um, yeah, it was just like, just like fire, you just literally just quit one day, just that's it. And came out and was like, boom, it was so clear. Um, Within a few weeks, yeah. Within a few Within weeks. A few, wow. It was because wow. it was, but I had been so unhappy and so sick yeah. for so many years that I was, I was really close to a complete <clears throat> breakdown. So mm. I'd been pushed to the absolute limit, and then I got this incredible experience. But but it was after twelve years of chronic pain and depression and a gotcha. lot of season. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, but that's what gave me the boost, mm. and I, I just wish it for everyone. Mm. I really do. Mm. Wow. Wow. And in terms of um, changing one's story, uh, you know, yeah. you, you mentioned we, have, we ha all have these stories, stories about uh, ourselves, how we see ourselves, stories about um, how we see other people, how we view life, money, relationship, love, everything. And we make up these right. stories often – Stories are limiting. They're not re based on reality. And so how, how does someone who has a story that's limiting begin to shift that story? What, what are some things that someone can do to begin changing their story to, to, to cultivate sure. uh, a more, a more uh, enlightened, inspiring, empowering story about themselves? Let's say there's, there's a story maybe someone has uh, I don't feel enough or I don't feel worthy. You know, we can start with yeah. it's just a small story like that, Martha. Yeah, just a little one that almost no one has. <laughs> just a little one. Yeah, just a small one. <laughs> just thought I'd throw that at you. <laughs> um, it's so interesting. There's actually been quite a bit of research on this in recent years. And there wasn't, for example, when I started out back in the 20th century, 
And now we know that a lot of the approaches that are prevalent in, say, therapy, where you just, you cognitively say, well, that doesn't make sense. I'm going to go to another story. That can work, um, but it can also backfire. If you try to overlay something you want to hear over something that's very deeply ingrained in your brain, sometimes you just get a miserable belief set that is covered over with affirmations, and that never worked for me. Yes. So what they now know is that if you turn, what you need to do when you have a thought that is putting the brakes on what you want to have happen, it will cause that sense of suffering and sluggishness, both physically and emotionally. So the first thing you do is you, you look at the thoughts in your head and you try to slow them down until you can see them. Or you notice that you're feeling miserable and you try to trace that to certain thoughts. And when you have a thought like, I'm not good enough, hold it in your mind and then watch how it makes you feel. Watch how it makes you feel emotionally. Watch how it makes you feel physically. A lie will always make you feel bad, even if it's, you know, supposedly good news, like I should succeed in my father's ministry. Uh, mm-hmm. A truth will always relax you. Even if there's a, a layer of fear, it will always feel relaxed to the body. So even if it's a scary one, like I need to leave my religion of origin, it will relax your body. So mm-hmm. you can start out with that. And then as you notice that you're feeling terrified or you're feeling trapped or whatever, compassionately watch that experience and describe it to yourself. Not to say, make it go away. Not to say, I'm going to put it in charge. Just say, oh, look, this is making my stomach churn. Oh, I've got an additional fear of of this over here, this other issue. Oh, I'm remembering what my teachers told me. But don't don't push away from it and don't pull away from it. Don't push against it. Don't pull away. Watch. And the watching actually develops a different part of the brain, and it becomes, there's a sense of freedom to it. The Buddha said, wherever you find um, salt water, wherever you find an ocean, no matter what it looks like, it will always taste of salt. And wherever you find freedom in your mind, wherever, no matter what it looks like, it will always taste of freedom. Enlightenment will always taste of freedom. So you look to see if it causes freedom or not freedom, and you describe it. And by doing so, you move out of it. I love it. I love it. So really tracing the thought, watching how it makes you feel compassionately. I yeah. love the word compassionately. I mean, not, not, not judgmentally watching the experience, but compassionately watching the experience. Yeah. Um, As if you were about, watching like, an animal yeah, or, or a young child. Yeah, yeah. I like that. It's like observing, right? Like a, a sort of pure observing yeah. of one's thought. Yeah, mm. and it it actually develops a different part of the brain and allows the brain to let go of the old story. Mm. Mm. What if someone is facing a, a little challenge? Because uh, I sometimes hear people say, I know I should be compassionate, but I just, I'm not, I just can't seem to, get compassionate with myself and then you know I, I i remember someone saying i'm not compassionate i know i should be compassionate now i'm beating myself up for not being compassionate and, and right so, uh uh i guess i'm curious like if someone's not feeling the compassion like they know they should but they're judging what they see they can't quite get out of the loop of judgment even though they understand should be compassionate um how can they begin cultivating that compassion? Is, is there sure. Any, well, you can, are there any things? Here's, here's the thing about compassion. It can do an end run around anything. So the way you're mm. compassionate when you can't be compassionate is to be compassionate toward the part of yourself that cannot be compassionate. <laughs> yes, yes. It's like, yes. okay, I'm in a rage. I loathe myself. Okay, I'm going to love that then. I'm going to watch that. Mm compassionately. Well, I can't feel compassionate. All right. I'm going to throw that in and watch that too. And Mm -hmm. I think this is why Jesus reportedly said, charity never faileth. It's not because you're going to succeed at everything you try. It's because no matter what happens, you can bring compassionate attention to it. So it cannot fail you. 
you can always find it. I like that, folks. You heard that. Martha Beth dropping some wisdom there. Uh, so what I'm really hearing is it's not even about, it's almost like it's not even about the compassion. It's really about our relation. It's like our relationship with the issue is, is even more the issue than the issue itself. And so even if you're not being compassionate, folks, your ability to be compassionate with the part of you that's not being compassionate, then there's some space, then you can hold, hold that non-compassion with compassion. Uh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Um, I'm curious about something, Arthur, in terms of... Um, yeah. You, sa- you said uh, your first child uh, had Down syndrome, correct? My second child, yeah. Correctly. Your second child. Your second child had Down syndrome. Yeah. And uh, I- I'm curious in terms of, you know, y- you had this decision to make and another courageous decision. Um, were there any lessons that, or any lessons that were different that you learned from being a mother to your second child uh, who had Down syndrome? Were there any, uh, was there anything differently that, that a different experience uh, being mother to a Down syndrome child um, than, yeah. than your first child? Uh, what were the lessons? Were there any particular lessons? I'm, I'm just curious about that, especially for those listening in that maybe they have a Down syndrome child or a child that has yeah. something that's just unique, you know, and just how you dealt with that, right. what you learned. Well, it's so interesting because knowing that he had this condition before he was born and having to sort of sit and live with it, I didn't jump right mm-hmm. in and try to make him normal. I was more interested in seeing what he would become. So it uh, it was like I'd gone to the pet store and everyone wanted a puppy and I had brought home a kitten by mistake. And they kept, people would say, you know, you could make him, if you work really hard with kittens, you can teach them to bark. And if you, they can almost wag their tails. And they, people were trying to encourage me to let him, to make him look normal. But in fact, yeah. all I wanted to do was watch what he did naturally and what his his own internally defined path would be. And because mm. he, I had acknowledged that he was different, I let that be what it was. Then I realized that all children are themselves and should be mm. allowed to just follow what was natural to them. And he's a very magical person. Let me quickly tell you one of the mm. infinite stories. I told you about that light and... Um, when he was about 19, one of his friend's parents died, both of them. And we went to the funeral and he said afterward, I didn't cry, mom. And I said, yeah, I know, but it's okay to cry when things are very sad. Even strong men cry. And he said, well, it's not so bad since the light came and opened my heart. Things aren't as sad. And I said, wait, a light? Wow. You? And he said, yeah. <laughs> and I said, when did this happen? And he said, May 10th. And I was like, May 10th of this year? He said, nope, I was 13. So long story oh short, goodness. this light appeared in his bedroom. And it touched him the way it had touched me. And it told him, he said, it told him, you can do this. And he said, you're right. Since then, nothing is as sad. And I said, well, you know, one thing the light told me is that it's always with us, even though we can't see it. And Adam turned to me and he said, well, I can see it. And I said, you can see that light, like, right now? And he said, yeah. And I just, is it in the corner? Is it in your heart? Is it in your head? And he just shook his head the way, because I am so slow at learning. And he said, Mom, it's everywhere. Everywhere. So, so yeah, he's my teacher. I am humbled by his teaching. He's my little Mm -hmm. blonde Zen master forever. Deep, and deep I am wisdom. such a lucky woman. Yeah, I, I, I am a lucky, lucky woman. I love what you said. Um, I wanted to see what he would become. That really, that really struck me. And mm-hmm. um, for, for, for those that may have uh, children, uh, I would love to hear your thoughts because I think a lot of our stories, uh, you know, way we perceive ourselves, uh, many times who we become as adults uh, stem from 
you know, our childhood and things that we experienced and the way our parents, you know, were in a certain way and the imprint we got sure. about even relating to ourselves. And so I'm curious in terms of also as a parent, um, what are some, what, what advice would you have, wisdom would you have that you've learned from your real experience as a mother, as a parent, in terms of uh, how to raise more vibrant, happy, uh, empowered children? I mean, I love the, the idea of see, like really allowing them to, to be themselves and seeing what they would become for me. That was a real nugget. Is it, was there anything else that, because uh, I think if we were able to, to, to sort of create that space for kids, a lot of the issues as we get older, would we wouldn't have many of these things. So, uh, yeah. Any thoughts? Yeah, I think you're right. The the thing I learned, and I have two daughters as well as my son. The thing that I wish someone had told me at the beginning is they will not. Mm-hmm. Your children will not treat themselves the way you treat them. They will treat themselves the way you treat yourself. So it wasn't the things that I sacrificed for them that had a good impact on them. In fact, they felt a lot of guilt and um, anxiety around anything I did that felt like self-sacrifice for their benefit. But things I did completely by, for my own happiness, like teaching myself to play the piano when they were little, you know, that my younger daughter is a piano prodigy because she watched me teach myself to play the piano and just she could feel that how much I enjoyed it. Um, my other daughter became a writer because she would, she would sit under the table during my meetings with my writing group. And I never tried mm. to teach them to do those things. They, they adopted them because mm. they saw my joy in them and they became astonishing to me. And it wasn't because I, tried to influence them. I never once told my daughter to practice the piano, never once told my other daughter she could be a writer. They just did it because they watched me do it. Mm -hmm. Mm. I love that. Wow. So really being the example, um, I often say, you know, one of the greatest gifts I think we can give our children is, is, is really transforming ourselves and healing and being happy and vibrant ourselves and living the example. So, I mean, that was, that was, that was a real, uh, insight this there they will not treat themselves the way you treat them which is what we think they will treat themselves yep. the way you treat yourself yep that takes a moment yep. to digest mm. i know Love it took me years <laughs> i wish i'd done wow. it sooner wow but at least i can still go powerful. to them and say hey i get it mm. Mm. powerful beautiful thank you for sharing that um I'm curious about so many things, Martha. Uh, you know, I've watched you for so long and uh, just really excited to be having this conversation with you. You know, as an author, um, you know, I, I launched my first book a couple of years ago and for me it was quite a process. And so mm-hmm. I mean, you're an author, you're a, you're a teacher and there may be many folks here who want to be coaches or you know, healers or teachers or some way, you know, make right. a difference. It, it, in people's lives. And I found that one of the things that I think uh, tend to stop people from, let's say, putting themselves out there into the world, sharing their gifts with the world, uh, obviously the story, uh, but, mm-hmm. but the thing of sort of needing other people's validation and right. like, even writing a book, you know, you're putting your heart out there. Uh, and, oh, yeah. And it can be a vulnerable, a vulnerable thing. And so oh, I'm wondering yeah. how you deal with that. Um, how you deal with putting your heart, putting your story, putting your your thoughts into words on the paper, in your seminars, on audio tapes, and just, boom, you know, being out there. Uh, how do you deal with, yeah. with, or how do you move through needing other people's uh, approval and validation? It's a really interesting, and people, I don't think, realize how incredibly hard every stage of publishing a book can be, including after mm-hmm. publication. It is just mm-hmm. a long slog up a hard mountain and oh very my. rarely <laughs> everything's great kind of I feeling. feel you. I feel oh, my intense. goodness. People have no idea. So you have to encounter that fear we were talking about earlier. You encounter it at every mm. stage. You encounter it before you write. You encounter it after you've written. You encounter it every time someone reads your work. You enc- it just, And you're right. If you don't 
put your your heart out there, nobody's going to want it. And if you do put your heart out there, it's maximum risk. J.R.R. Tolkien, who was an academic, he put out a lot of academic papers. But when he wrote The Hobbit and sent that out to be to publishers, he wrote to a friend, I have put up my heart to be shot at. But we all mm. see how that translated. People are still nuts for um, J.R.R. Tolkien to this day because the deeper the truth, the more personal the the essence that you put on the page, the more people respond to it in their essence. So I always say people feel mm. reading the way you feel writing. But to do that, you have to put fear aside. You have to put fear aside. Imagine it sitting across the table. Um, and then imagine your reader. This is what I always do. Once uh, the warden at a woman's prison told me that when they tossed the cells, they did random searches of the women's cells, one of the commonest items they found under the mattress were copies of my column from Oprah Magazine. And wow. I hadn't thought about, I know, right? Talk about humbling. I had not realized that women in prison were paying attention <laughs> to this. Mm. So after that, when I sat down or whenever I sit down to write, I'm thinking about someone who is alone in a prison cell who never had a chance in mm. the world. And then I throw in a couple of my Harvard professors who were haunted and miserable. And I take the attention off myself and I put 100% of my attention on them. And I try yes. to write something that will entertain and lift and encourage all those people at once. And that task is so difficult that I cannot keep the fear with me. And I kind of go into an altered state and the room falls away and it's just me and those people. And then it's all about love. It's all about love. Mm -hmm. Give them attention and same thing with marketing or whatever. When I show up, I don't care about selling books as much as I care about how those people feel. It just turns out yeah. that that's how, that's what makes books sell. <laughs> mm -hmm. I love what you just said. That was key. Uh, and I think that's the key to, to the question I asked is where you, you said you take your, your your attention off of yourself. And for me, yeah. that is a, mag a, a magic right there, the magic right there, taking the attention off of oneself and putting 100% yep. attention on those you're here to serve. And I think uh, when we're really connected to that, um, we, we, we transcend our fear. You know, we transcend our stories. Yeah. We transcend our limitations. And it's all about love. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You would you say? Would you say back to that? Yeah. Would you say? Because kind of, I, I was about to ask you. You know, like you've been doing this for I, I was it twenty years now. I mean, this is quite a quite a little moment. Thousand years. Thousand years. <laughs> yeah, thousand years. Uh, uh, Twenty-five. To be honest. Twenty-five. Which is, which is, you know, it's, it's especially in this industry, it's, it's like that's huge to have that longevity and success and, you know, relevance mm -hmm. and inspiring lives. And so just I honor you because I know how hard it is and it's incredible. It's incredible. The work you do is well, amazing. And so I was about to ask you, like, wh what is the secret to your success? What has the secret as an author, not just an author, as a speaker, as a coach, as a, you know, brand, as a personality? You, What's the what's been the secret? I mean, it sounds like one of the things is just taking attention off of yourself and really serving yeah. your authenticity. Because yep. as I'm speaking to you, I really want to feel your heart and just your genuineness. I mean, I feel it's real for you. Um, but mm. has there been anything else that you could share, especially for those that want to go into this field? Is there anything else you could kind of take us behind the curtain and, and kind of show sure. some polls like here's Martha Beck's secrets? <laughs> yeah, the, this may sound, it may not sound as direct as people wish, but mm. the secret of it is I have a very low threshold for suffering. I do not oh. like to suffer at all. And because of that, I'm continuously looking for ways to transcend the suffering that afflicts every human being in all the different ways. So, you know, the moment you get get over one form of suffering, like, uh, I don't know, fear of being rejected, you find that in the 20 years 
you've taken to get over that, you, now you're afraid of aging. You know, there's always something, right? Mm, and mm, so mm. Um, it becomes a quest to transcend suffering for oneself and for other beings. And that takes you invariably. You know, I said Mormonism, which is my childhood, locked me in a dungeon but threw in the key. If you go far enough into self-help, you come out in the mystery. You come out in um, spiritual practice like meditation, like um, like trying to guide your life in every second by the consciousness of whether you're in, uh, in truth or not. And because I have never transcended suffering completely and because I am so, <laughs> so committed to it, the moment I get a little bit further along, I immediately want to share it because the thought of someone else suffering is intolerable to yeah. me as well. <laughs> I just yeah. have this hair yeah. trigger for suffering. And it put me on a quest and it helps me find methodologies. And then I immediately want to share those. And people are kind enough and um, good enough to come with me. Mm, I love that. I love that. I'm really hearing again uh, this this desire to be of service, which I think is really beautiful. Yeah. You know, um, that's what I'm really that's what I'm taking away. Part of what I'm taking away is, you know, because you could uh, study it and just kind of keep it to yourself. And, okay, I'm out of suffering. I'm fine. That's cool. I'm good. Mother's cool. <laughs> but there's this, you know, there's a real genuine desire to like really be of service, and I'm just being reminded yeah. that uh, that that's a real that's a secret to success, you know, that, 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 that drive to, to serve. And, uh, yeah, that's beautiful folks. If you listen to this conversation and you want to go into the field of coaching, teaching, writing, you know, uh, I think so many people too, at, at least, I mean, this is just my perception, Martha. And I think some people over the last years with the acceleration of technology, um, you know, maybe come at it from a, a marketing angle or how can I make money sure. and, and, you know, put information products out there, which is, hey, everyone has their own path, but uh, coming from service, I think, is, is the real foundation because we're, you know, we're dealing with people's lives and their souls and delicate yeah. things. And so it's beautiful. It's really beautiful. How much of, how much of life, uh, yeah, I guess, yeah, how much of life do you feel is in our control? And how much do you <laughs> feel is just like divine destiny? You know, and, and at this stage of your life, do you do you set goals? Do you like try and manifest things, or do you just kind of let it flow, just let it happen? I mean, how, how does that? Where are you at in that relationship? Well, the more I have used all the methods that have been handed down from ancient wisdom traditions, the more I feel that. There is no essential difference between my deepest yearning and divine will, whatever that is, because I just am coming to see us all as manifestations of one consciousness, and Mm. that consciousness is infinitely benevolent and wants us all to have the, the absolute best experience we possibly could of this life, but it's not separate from us. So what happens, the more, for example, I'm, working on integrity now I'm teaching my coaches and training and everything it's all about integrity just go into integrity I went into it Mm. first because I know a lie hurts but what I found is that the more careful I am about always being absolutely in line with what I feel to be the truest thing I can do the more the the whole manifestation thing actually works you know this stuff that Mm. people talk about in the secret and all of that it works when we are living in truth, because truth is aligned with the one consciousness and therefore creates everything. But if we fight hard for ideas that basically came from other people, you know, the yes, their ideas yes. of success that don't feel true to our own hearts, that yes. energy is very weak. So it's when the energy itself aligns with the energy of truth that true creativity and power become available. And at that point, because we're deeply into the essence of what is true, we actually manifest different things. We don't, we're not so obsessed with the perfect spouse and the car and the house. We might get those things, but Mm -hmm. the more deeply we align with our truth, the more 
beautiful all of life becomes and the more again we want to just show up to to alleviate suffering and help people access and every being access joy and then amazing things begin to manifest and all of that all of that secret stuff actually shows up as real it's amazing mm, mm, yeah I, t- I fully align with what you're saying i think many times uh what ends up happening when we really align without without real truth uh life sort of unfolds sometimes even beyond what we can imagine with our, yes. with our minds. Yeah. Beyond. Absolutely. Beyond. Yeah. Wow, Once that you start out thinking beautiful. you should want less to be in your integrity. And then you realize that, that the truth is that there is far, far more waiting for you. No matter what stage of life you're in, there is far more waiting for you than you could possibly imagine. And it's magical and, and, and magnificent. Beautiful. Well, my, uh, my heart is full, Martha. I mean, there's, there's so, much, uh, so much I've been learning. And folks, if you're tuning into this conversation on the Soul Talk podcast, I'm here with uh, the amazing Martha Beck, life coach, author, teacher, uh, Marty, you've shared so much today, just gen- generously, and uh, I am curious, uh, a kind of final question as we bring this conversation to a close for now. Um, maybe some things you've already shared, but I'd love to kind of distill uh, your wisdom. And if there were, let's say, if you looked in your life, wife, mother, parent, coach, teacher, speaker, all the roles that you've lived, all of your life experience, success failures, if there were, let's say, three uh, of the most important life lessons that you've learned that you would like to pass on, that you would pass on to your children and your grandchildren, uh, maybe some of which you shared, maybe some new insights could be, you know, different on a different day, but at least today, what would the three most uh, important life lessons be that you feel would evolve the next generation the most that you, you could share with those listening today? Thank you. Yeah, the first thing that comes to mind is a quote from Goethe who said, when you trust yourself, you will know how to live. So that's the first thing. Trust yourself above everyone else. Mm. Ultimately, it's only your inner self that tells you whom to trust at all. The second thing is go toward what brings you peace. People think peace is boring, and we have in our culture, we have a really manic, um, hyper sort of sense of what joy is. But everyone I've ever worked with, including murderers, including all kinds of people, they relax, their whole bodies relax when they say the phrase, the sentence, I am meant to live in peace. So trust what brings you peace. And the third thing is trust that you are an infinite capacity, connected with the infinite capacity of all things, and that if you trust yourself and go toward peace, the logistics of your life will work out because you are everything and everything wants you to come home to yourself. Mm. I love it. You are, folks, you are everything and everything and life wants you to come home to yourself. Wow. Thank you, Martha. This has been uh, oh, this has been an honor. It's been a beautiful uh, moment for me to have you on Soul Talk. You know, as I've said, I've, I've uh, been reading your books and followed you for a while. So just a real privilege. Thank you for saying yes. I know uh, everyone listening has been inspired by you uh, today as a result of this conversation. I would love for you to, uh, what I'd love for each guest is to assign a homework assignment. If there's just like one simple thing, an actionable step that people listening in could immediately apply right now to implement uh, from this conversation that could, you know, impact their lives. Could you just assign a simple homework that someone could do a question, an assignment? Like what's one thing uh, that uh, folks could immediately Um, do? In order to, use any of the advice I just gave, the first thing you need is stillness. You need a quiet moment away to notice how you're reacting. So if you could do a daily practice, even five or 10 minutes of being alone, if you're a mother of young children, maybe don't put on a video and go into the bathroom or something, find five to 10 minutes by yourself 
take relaxed breaths, relax your body, and then compassionately observe what's happening inside you. How do I feel? What am I thinking about? And just offer yourself love. And maybe say something like, may you be well, may you be happy, may you have everything you need. Just offer yourself love quietly for five to ten minutes a day. And uh, to me, that's the foundation. Folks, you heard it. The stillness exercise from Martha Beck. Five to ten minutes alone, compassionately observe and offer yourself love. Beautiful. Martha, thank you so much. And uh, hopefully we'll, we'll get to have you back on Soul Talk soon. And what's the best way uh, people can, can find out more about your work if they want to connect with you? What's the best website and uh, uh, the best way people can sure. get in touch with you? Um, MarthaBeck.com. And you can write to my staff there, info at MarthaBeck.com. We run a training that helps people learn all of these things and internalize them more deeply. Mm. Um, you can find all of that at MarthaBeck.com. And awesome. by the way, the honor is all mine. It is such a joy to talk to you and feel your incredible energy. It's beautiful. Oh, thank you, Martha. Mutual. I look forward to you know giving you a hug one of these days in person. And folks, <laughs> MarthaBeck.com. Uh, we'll put the Martha's link in the show notes. Definitely want to just invite you all to check out what Martha's doing, her work, her trainings, her seminars, her programs. Make sure you, you know, you, you get her book. She is a wealth of wisdom and a true treasure, uh, bringing a wealth of knowledge and experience. And uh, I know she'll be an amazing uh, inspiration to your life. www.marthabeck.com, folks. I told you this was going to be a very special episode of the Soul Talk podcast. Uh, send me an email, everyone, coopblackson at coopblackson.com. Let me know your key takeaways from today's episode. Also, I uh, would love to hear from you in terms of how Martha's homework assignment, spending five to ten minutes alone, compassionately observing, offering yourself love. Let me know how that goes. Uh, please do download this episode. Share it with your friends, uh, also on social media. And uh, I'll catch you in the next episode of Soul Talk. Love now. If you've enjoyed this episode of Soul Talk, please do share the podcast with all of your friends. Let everyone know and make sure you download Soul Talk today. I'm looking forward to next week where I'll get to share more inspiration with you. Meanwhile, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or social media. You can find out more about my work at www.coopblackson.com. If you feel ready to take your life to the next level, join me at my exclusive event in Bali, www.boundlessblissbali.com, where you can find out more and apply. Also, make sure to remember to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment at coopblackson.com. Sending you all big hugs and love now. <laughs>